Hello, welcome to more of the Richard Herring podcast feed, powered by Acast Plus. Uh, hope you're enjoying all these tour podcasts. There is still a chance to catch some, though they're selling out very fast. Uh, we, in fact, Sheffield on the 7th of March sold out. Uh, but check the theatre website for returns. Uh, Monday, the 11th of March, Adam Buxton and Lemsis A in the Leicester Square Theatre sold out. But you can get tickets for the Warwick Arts Centre, where I'm talking to Lindsay Santoro and the Exploding Heads internet phenomenon, and at Bedford on the 21st, where I'm talking to Olaf Falafel and my old friend Al Murray. I'm at Glasgow uh, on the 27th of March, sold out, Susie McCabe and Fred McCauley, and then at Hull on the 28th of March with Tommy Cannon and Bob Morton. Uh, there are three tickets left as I talk to you so get there quick if you want to come and see that also this richardherring.com slash come and see me on tour doing stand-up for the first time in six years richardherring.com slash ballback coming lots of places around England and some places in Scotland uh, and that's about it for the moment all right sit back relax and enjoy rahalastapa Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. If you're a Shark Tank fan or business junkie, check out the podcast Another Bite. Each week, Another Bite breaks down the biggest success stories and most disastrous failures to come out of Shark Tank. The hosts break down each company's pitch, analyze the deals that were or weren't made, and answer the million-dollar question, are they still a company? Whether you're an entrepreneur looking for tips or a Shark Tank fan that just wants to relive the drama, Another Bite's your deep dive into the world of Shark Tank. Just search for Another Bite in your favorite podcast app, like the one you're listening to right now. Welcome to Rahalastapur Book Club. I am delighted to be joined this week by David Baddiel. And he has written a book called The God Desire. Um, so, uh, hello, David. Hello, Richard. You said to me before we started that it was uh, you know, a bit more serious <laughs> than yeah. the normal podcast that you do, mm. uh, which I've been on numerous occasions, which is very funny. Yes. Uh, I noticed that you've begun by calling me David Fabio. <laughs> I did, yeah. Which, for anyone who knows a running gag, or which Richard Herring does, uh, because yes. he's bad. Yeah, insisted on calling me David Badiel every yes. time I was on telly, uh, much as he used to call Doritos Doritos. That's uh, and, uh, <laughs> it's good. It's good that even uh, as we start talking about, as older men, we sort of said, right now it's time to move into more serious subjects. <laughs> we keep those jokes going. <laughs> no worries. Absolutely. Well, you know, I don't want to let my younger self down just because I've become older no. and wiser. So that is good. Um David, you've written a, you've written a lot of books. My, the last one I read was Jews Don't Count, which is a similar format to this book in that it's a shorter book, but taking on quite a big subject. Yeah. Uh, you've also written – it's a fantastic book. Uh, we may talk about it a little bit. Uh, but uh, you've also a very successful children's author. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it seems you get to do I whatever thought, whatever I you want to do. I books as well. Yes, of course. Was- I did four well. before I frankly realised something, which is that um, I was never going to get nominated for the Booker Prize. Uh, <laughs> I mean, because they weren't good enough, no doubt, but also because I was that bloke off the telly on that football show. Yes. Uh, and I think uh, that meant that somehow or other, you don't, you're not allowed to write literary grown-up books if you're that person, but you are allowed to write children's books. It's a slightly weird thing. You're sort of allowed yes. to write plays, like Patrick Marvel has proved. He <laughs> did. Comedian. And you're sort of allowed to write children's books, but serious novels 
the uh, gatekeepers of culture have a problem with. If Although pre- you you straddle that world a little bit more than some people, you know, you oh, have got yeah. quotes from Alan de Boton and uh, well, now I do now yeah. I do for many years, but even then I've gone for non-fiction. I still think if I wrote if I went back to writing a big old serious literary novel, it would still be dismissed. Yes, I, I'll give you an example. Actually, sorry, this is me just sour grapes now, but it is a book club, <laughs> so I think I can say this in this context. So I wrote a book called The Secret Purposes. Uh, which was my third uh, novel, and it was it was kind of self consciously because my first two novels were not probably they were more like lad lit as it was described in the nineties. But the third one was set on the Isle of Man during the Second World War, and it was about the internment of German Jewish refugees on the Isle of Man during the Second World War. Something that happened to my grandfather. It was a big old proper serious historical novel, and it was um, it was reviewed in the uh, Evening Standard. By a bloke whose name I can't remember, which is probably quite good. I can't remember it, rather than like it being seared in my mind. And he gave it a sort of lukewarm review. And then he said, this is probably quite a good novel, I suppose. But does David Baddiel really expect us to forget that he's on the telly every Friday night with a beer <laughs> talking about football? And I'm now supposed to believe that he's like a serious writer writing about this. And I want to say yes. Yes, yeah. it's possible to be both posting <laughs> a bit flat. I can't remember. But I think that remains a problem for yes. some in, in the serious literary establishment. Yeah, it is interesting that. I mean, and it's interesting the way. I mean, I don't actually note it down. One of the reviews, it's a good review of, of, of The God Desire. Uh, but part of it says, despite a good deal of humour, the analysis <laughs> is razor sharp, as if putting <laughs> jokes in something is yeah. bad. Just initially makes it stupid yeah. and wrong. Even though it's funny, it's also yeah. correct. Yeah, that, that is, I know that's a really funny thing you've pointed out. <laughs> and obviously, let's not downgrade funny. But but it's amazing that that is what people think. I mean, the yeah. Jews Don't Count has got jokes in it as well. Yes. That is, is in many ways about a more serious subject, really, because whether or not God exists, which is what this book's about, is is sort of not a serious subject. I mean, it is a serious subject, but you know what I mean? Yeah. It, 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 like, Jews Don't Count has an actual impact on people's lives. Uh, and I think has changed the way that people are talking about an actual form of racism that affects people, and that's really important. Doesn't mean I'm not going to put jokes in it. No, because jokes really like are great, and they also help people understand. Yeah, they help people understand. Oh, right. So I, I understand this because I've also enjoyed laughing at it, which means that I can read it in a way that I might not read a big old serious tone about the same subject. Yes, but, no, yeah. no, I think that's absolutely true. I mean, there are a few comedians doing uh, serious subjects and we've had a few of them on here and and I think exactly that and I I really like uh, this sort of short form look at a subject dealt with dealt with sort of with precision and quickly I wrote uh, the problem with men which was about my international men's day but also uh, about toxic masculinity and it was a very good exercise I think to kind of get that down I think mine was something like 20,000, 25,000 words to get to get a subject down into that small amount of time. Is that something that you've relished doing these last two books to the last two adult books um, yeah. in, in terms of kind of getting that precision of argument into into a short amount of yeah. space? So, so well, for anyone who hasn't read either book, um, they are essay books. Uh, you holding it up helps makes that clear. Uh, and I was asked uh, by the Times Literary Supplement originally to write an essay book, and they specifically said they wanted to uh, reinvigorate a tradition, a kind of Orwellian tradition. Like, so Orwell used to write these books called things like 
on language and politics or whatever, and they would be longer than a news piece, but shorter than a proper book, a bit like a pamphlet, but a hardback. And um, I like the idea. I think I quite like it aesthetically. I quite like the look and feel of a short, you know, book that, uh, and obviously I think people do in general, because I've seen quite a lot of art directed photos of Jews <laughs> don't count in various situations. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I think I like the idea of doing a short book, but something that also is about a big subject, but maybe takes a specific element yes. of that subject and drills down into that very specifically. So in this yeah. book, The God Desire, uh, which is about atheism, but it's not just about like writing a whole book about atheism or the existence of God, which which a bad review in, in, the, in the Telegraph seemed to be comparing this book to. There's one point where Tim Stanley in the Telegraph, I do remember his name, says that David Baddiel makes the extraordinary claim that you shouldn't argue uh, uh, for the existence of God using logic and reason because God is beyond logic and reason. It seems to me to be not an extraordinary claim, but he says, <laughs> I'd like to see David Baddiel say that too. And then it's a huge list. Thomas Aquinas, Freddie <laughs> De- Descartes, uh, Spinoza, a lot. He, he goes on forever. <laughs> Basically saying, I've read these people, by the way. That's yes. what Tim Stanley is really saying. I've read these people. But to be clear, it's not like a book that those books would be a comprehensive history of this argument. It's specifically talking about something that I think. Yes. Which is that if you ask me why principally I'm an atheist, it's not so much that there's no evidence for the existence of God or that I believe the problem of evil in the world means that there can't be a God. It's because I desperately want there to be a God. I would love there to be a God because I'm a shallow, frightened, uh, desperate person who would love <laughs> to not be dying quite soon uh, and also would love there to be more meaning to my life than I know there is. And that desperate wish makes me think, if it's shared, which I believe it to be, by uh, an enormous amount of people, that there is a projection, a wish fulfillment that comes from that wish called God. And a lot of people have just bought into that. They've thought, well, I really, really would like that to be the case. I know, <laughs> we'll just say it is. We'll just yeah. say something exists that sorts that out for us. And that's what the book's about. That's why it's called The God Desire. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting premise. And it's I think it's great because it's, I mean, you debate it yourself and you argue against it a little bit yourself to yeah. an extent. Uh, but it do, it is that just that premise is a, is a very good one for debate because, of course, you could, just because you don't you really want something as you say it doesn't mean it doesn't exist but you imagine you say because it's there's no there's no actual because it's imaginary or you there's no tangible you know like a man in a desert yeah. can want water and not get water or can get water but water does exist <laughs> yeah. we know it exists, it exists. Uh, but, but you, an oasis is the thing that appears yes. to a man in the desert desperately wanting water and that doesn't exist but the wish is that it should do yeah and yeah, it's not a straightforward you know, point by point necessarily argument for God's non-existence, the idea that I want it, therefore it can't exist. And I think I quote A.A. Gill, uh, who who once said to me, oh, that's so Jewish. I want it so it can't be true, which is an interesting thing, as I say in the book, like, why is that Jewish? And maybe that's just because he's one of those people who I meet quite regularly who <laughs> just think, oh, he's a Jew, so everything he says must be Jewish <laughs> in some way. Uh, but, I, but I do think that it's very much a building block of my general thinking about God and the existence of God, i.e. the actual existence of God as an idea, that the deep, deep desperation of humanity to hope that we do have something more, that we do have a way of defeating death or whatever, has got to be a massive factor in the creation of God. Yeah. 
I mean, it's simply, you know, it's undeniable, isn't it? Uh, I mean, I th- I, you know, I would say so. I mean, I like this book because um, it's, you know, it, it isn't... Uh, polemically atheist in the way that some it's not dismissive of religion in the same way that can be it's it's you know you're a fan of religion certainly of Jew, the jewish religion and the Jew, jewish traditions um yeah. and, I'm a, and it, of, I'm a fan of lots of religions actually I sure. know how across in the book uh i certainly being jewish which is a big part of the book uh the reason i bring all that in is to say that yeah uh, I'm not being dismissive of religion, partly because I feel this wish. So the book is written from a very personal point of view, which is I'm not going to dismiss religion, even though I absolutely think God doesn't exist. And by the way, the way that I've come to this thing is exactly the way that a lot of believers come to the same thing. So C.S. Lewis, for example, who's not in the book, I kind of wish he was, because a number of things have been brought to me since writing this book. I thought oh, I should have put that in. But anyway... <laughs> Uh, Richard Iwadi, who I did an event with the other day, said, oh, have you read C.S. Lewis? And I, I have. I haven't read loads of people that I should have read before writing this book. C.S. <laughs> Lewis basically said, well, there are these things that I really desire and that I feel that I need and that are there in the world. They are there in the world. So therefore, there must be a God. You know, and John Updike, who I quote, basically says the same thing, which is yeah. that, uh, that um, in the same way as a child, when they're trying to get to sleep, is reassured by the fact their parents are there that makes me believe there must be a God because that same reassurance that we all need makes me feel that it must be there. And that's the same reason why I think there isn't a God, right? Because if we're in need of that reassurance, we've created something to satisfy it, yeah? But anyway, my point is, in terms of what you were saying, is that, yes, I'm not dismissive of religion because I feel the same needs, and I'm not dismissive of religion for another reason, which is, as a Jew, I know that it is entwined with identity that religion is almost always, for a minority, something to do with their identity. And identity is something that you are, it's in your bones if you are part of a minority, particularly a minority that has been persecuted nearly out of existence because of the religion uh, and other reasons for many years. So, yeah, that's why I, um, even though I have a Catholic wife, uh, (laughs) I spend some time doing Passover and Hanukkah and all the rest of it with my children, because I think that identity is important, even though I don't believe in the supernatural being that we're supposed to be praising when we yeah. do those things. And it's interesting, and it sort of proves your point as well. I think, I mean, you talk about people, you know, whether atheists convert and some of them do and some of them don't, but people, as they get older, often move more towards religion as they yeah. get closer to death. And even yeah. yourself, even though you're not becoming religious, you seem to be, you seem to be very much embracing your Jewishness uh, yes. In a way that you didn't twenty years ago, when you're thirty years ago, when you were in your twenties and having fun in your life, David. <laughs> yes, that, that's true, Richard. Although uh, that might just be to do with getting old. Uh, it's also partly to do with increasing anti-Semitism. Is yes. the other reason for that? Yes. Uh, and a sense that oh, someone's got to speak about this, uh, and it may as well well be me. But yes, uh, I think that's true. I do think. I don't know if you feel this. Uh, I said this the other day when I was doing the event with Richard. Is it's a cliche, isn't it? It's a cliche that comedians, as they get older, are, do a bit less comedy and they get a bit more serious. And it's also a cliche, which I am also uh, falling into, that as you get older, you want to deal with the big questions in life. Yes. You want to examine what are we doing here, you know, and not just do, you know, jokes about Jimmy Hill, basically. <laughs> 
Um, but yes, we, no, but, you know, but also I think that that's obviously part, but it, but it sort of maybe comes part out of that desire to be taken seriously, which I do and don't, don't have, you know, I sort of think, but I still think being a comedian and being funny is way better than being serious because it's actually easy to be, it's easier to be serious and it's well, easy to be I, I heartily sincere. agree. Well, I do agree with that completely. And I was always pissed off with certain comedians. Woody Allen was always my uh, main one. Uh, that I was pissed off that he seemed to have this rather sort of six-form belief that because Ingmar Bergman was Ingmar Bergman or whatever, that his silly, funny films weren't very important and he had to carry try and try as he, much as he could to make more and more serious films. Yeah. But somehow or other, comedy was not a high art form because, I mean, this is a conversation that I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but because comedy is itself... Uh, as an art form about the inconsequential and about the stupid and about the trivial or whatever, that somehow it's a trivial and inconsequential art form, which obviously it isn't. It's the opposite of that. It's the hardest art form and the most impressive when you get it right. Having said that, I so I'm, I'm never going to completely deny comedy in myself, but two things. One is it's much more of a young man's game, I've realised as I grow older, particularly live stand-up. Yeah. Which, I am going to continue to do, but fucking hell, it takes it out of me now, touring and all the rest of it. Yes, uh, <laughs> with you. <laughs> I mean, it is. I mean, I, I, on the last tour, I thought, I, oh, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to die. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be Tommy Cooper. Uh, uh, and the other reason is I do genuinely feel that I do have things to say that I will incorporate comedy with, but I can't completely contain within comedy that neither Jews Don't Count nor this book was something I could do as a, say, a two-hour stand-up show. Yeah. Um, actually, I did do Jews Don't Count. I've tried it out as a sort of completely ad-lib show. So I went to the Lowry and I did a week where I just came on stage and said, okay, I'm going to talk about my, this book. Most of you have read it. Um, what do you think? Just like a Q&A, a, an hour-long Q&A about it, completely yeah. ad-lib. And it was 40% funny and 60% serious, um, which, you know... I completely accept, I, I'm totally with you about comedy, but I, I just think there are some things I want to talk about that can't be contained. Yeah, within. No, I, absolutely. But, you know, I think that that's, it, it's nice to have that, that that light and shade within a comedy show, within a book that's, I mean, this isn't a comedy book. This is a, this is a serious book with jokes in it. Uh, yeah. But, uh, but, you know, but funny stuff and funny observations. And like I say, I think it just, it's enough to get the comedy. I, I got to the end of it and you kind of go, oh, I kind of liked a bit more, but I, but what I like about it is, you know, you then start thinking, you know, I think like I thought, you know, I sort of agree with a lot of it, but like if religion is sort of to to try and comfort you about death, then why is, why is so much of it really horrible things happening to you after you die? So there's more to it than than yeah. just that. So yeah. they're trying to they're yeah. trying to I steer do, you as well as, as I do deal with you. That. I actually do deal with that briefly. Yeah. Uh, in the start of the start of the book where I talk about how the other thing that, that they're all spin-offs in my opinion from death but it also provides story it provides meaning and it provides this word i make up which is parentness yes yeah. uh, and i say that you know god is basically the supreme parent and as such he let's call him he is not just a good parent he in a kind of freudian way is a good parent and a terrifying parent and a, a capricious parent and all the things that in the sort of primordial soup of our anxieties and our unconscious we might project a parent to be so that's one of the things about desire is it's not straightforward, is it? We want something, but once we've projected it, it will turn. It will turn into something that might be great, but might also be nightmarish, which I think God is. Yeah. 
And, and I guess the other thing that I, I mean, I covered a little bit of this sort of subject in Christ on a Bike, which was a much more kind of knockabout look at Christianity, but but equally like being impressed. It's the same thing. You know, I, I grew up as a Christian and I kind of want it to be true. And I and I like Jesus yeah. as an idea because he's very easy to to put your own ideas on as well. But I think, you know, all of us and it's even those extreme atheists have made up beliefs or made up moral systems that yeah. aren't actually real that that comfort them or get them get them through life. I mean I would say uh you know that this but this is a this is a very comforting way of looking at death is that it's sort of better to have the chance to be alive. You know when I made, when I re- read this book I was thinking you know yeah, dying is horrible I don't want to die but I've had the op- opportunity out of all those billions of people who could have existed in my place and in the place of my parents, uh, I've got to experience this. So it's a bit like having an ice cream that's really nice and finishing it and then being annoyed that you got the ice cream, even though... Yeah, was... well, that's, that, that lead, that's quite similar to the thing I quote, which I heard from Arthur Smith, but is in fact a, a Belgian playwright called Maurice Metterlink, uh, which is the living are just the dead on holiday. Yes, yeah, we'd love that. There's, there's two ways of looking at that. <laughs> yes. One is, as you say, which is it's brilliant, you've got to be on holiday. You know, what a fantastic thing that you've got to have a holiday. But of course, the tragic thing or the terrifying thing about that is holidays end. Yes. Holidays, holidays are a short thing. <laughs> uh, and that, that, so I find that phrase both cheering and funny and uh, very, very upsetting. It is. It's, it's all of those things. But that's what, like, you know, life is. And I think it is so bleak that if you were absolutely rational and cynical about life all the time, well, or just factual about life at the time, yeah. I think, again, because we get older and things start to go wrong a bit more and, that you know, you've ha- you'll have had some tragedy in your life and you'll have had, you'll have lost people a bit more than when you're, than, than you're young, you know, I think it, you, that is why it, it, it gets more difficult to to put it all together. You know, I have that stuff of kind of lying, you know, you have insomnia, I know as well, which is where, where a lot of this you claim comes from. Mm. But, uh, you know, when you're lying in bed in the middle of the night, woken up and you can't get to sleep and you're sort of, you're having sort of dark thoughts that you can't even quite control. Those yeah. feel like, those feel like reality. Yeah. And, the, and the rest of the time when you're awake and not, not panicking, um, feels yeah. like you're kidding, like you're kidding yourself about life. Being... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's when you're, that's when you're distracted. <laughs> Yeah, and distraction doesn't feel like reality. Can I just ask? You said, and I knew this about you, but not in any kind of proper way. Uh, that you said you were a Christian when you were young. Yeah. Uh, so, until when, and like, how did that work? Who who well, made you a Christian? My parents were, you know, took me to took us to church a lot, and were were kind of were members of the community, and you know, and I think still, I, think, I know one of my, I can't remember. It's, I think my my mum has. Is it my mum or my dad who's lost it a little bit? But they still go to church, so they took me to church. Um, like until I, you know, until I was, I had to go for quite a long time, even after I'd lost my faith. And I think I got to about eight years old and started questioning it. Right. Um, and like a few of the things that came up in Christ on a Bike were, you know, just like questioning. Um, well, you know, the thing, the, the famous bit, the, the the best bit of Christ on the Bike, which was looking at the that first page of the New Testament where all the Jesus's. Uh, descendants are, uh, and so as uh, ancestors are listed, and yeah. then saying, you know, but and I remember saying to my grandma, but Jesus isn't related to Joseph, so he isn't related to any of these people, yeah. and yeah. her going, uh, yeah, I've uh, not been able to come up with any answer. And I thought, well, if the first page is wrong, <laughs> <laughs> so like, you know, I think, I think just things like that, maybe, you know, and I had that kind of questioning mind, and I didn't like not being able to question it, and you weren't, we sort of weren't allowed to question it. But I was still, even when I did Christ on the Bike and I was 33 and I was did Christ on the Bike, there was a residual 
part of me feeling I can't say these things about, even though I think the show was very fair about Jesus. If you watch the whole thing, it's, it's a, it's a kind of appreciation of Christ who I yeah. think is better as a man than as a god because if he's a god it's sort of meaningless. Yeah. Um, but yeah. uh, but you, you know agree the, you agree with the teachings such as they are. Yeah. Obviously we don't even know if they are coherent teachings of anything, but let's assume they are teachings of a man. Yeah. That you agree with them, but that once that becomes the teachings of a god, then it becomes a bit silly. Well, and also the sacrifice is meaningless. It doesn't make you know if you're a god and you know you know that you're going to heaven. If you know if you're not, I mean, you talk about Jesus Christ superstar in the book, which I think is great yeah. about the about the way that that kind of is a high art and and makes you think about Jesus both as a messiah and as a a yeah. rebel. And it's that sort of thing. you know I don't I don't think that that what we have of Jesus is anyway the the real guy. But but the sacrifice would mean if you're going to take that central sacrifice, it's meaningless. If he if he knows he's coming back to life again, yeah, so, so uh, and, you know, it's kind of interesting that he says, "Oh, Father, why hast thou forsaken me?" As he's dying, you go, "Don't don't you remember the plan we had about about you dying to redeem mankind?" Well, so, as, as is often the case in, in, in the way that I think about God, is I have an argument against that, and I do this quite a lot in the book. In the book, there's a bit where um, I talk about what is often a big plank in atheism. Which is the problem of evil? Like, so there's a kind of famous clip of Stephen Fry talking about, you know, why would there be a god when he allows cancer, childhood cancer, and there's all this sort of terrible stuff he talks about. Yeah, and I think there's a very straightforward reason for that. If I was a believer, I would just say, well, firstly, God is beyond normal morality, and secondly, of course, there is no good if there's no evil. Uh, there's no yeah. meaning to good if there's no evil. Uh, and I would go a bit further in the book. I say, you know, I would say God is an artist. God is an artist who is creating a massive story in which you need villains and you need terrible things so that extraordinary acts of goodness can happen. That's what I would say. Yeah. And so but he knows the story. He knows he's doing that though. So if he's on the cross, no, he just forgotten. Here's <laughs> my answer to that. Right. I once saw a fucking brilliant priest. So, so Morwenna, my wife, is not, in her opinion, Catholic anymore. But you wouldn't know that necessarily <laughs> um, if you went round to our house, where she has a lot of Catholic iconography and stuff uh, on on the wall of her study. And in general, she likes going to Catholic churches and lighting candles and all that. She had a very, very um, quite hardcore Catholic upbringing and wanted to be a nun at one stage or whatever. And uh, as a hangover from that, we still occasionally go to church. Like, like we went once to, on midnight mass at Christmas mm-hmm. before we had kids. And I saw this amazing priest in a tiny church in Cornwall say this thing. He said, the way you have to think about Jesus is that he didn't know he was God. It's much like in the others or the sixth sense where the <laughs> dead don't know that they're dead. Right? Yeah. He didn't know he was God. The divine part of him, this, this guy said, was his unconscious. So he had like a divine unconscious, so God's in his unconscious, but he doesn't himself know that he's God. He's just doing the godly stuff because his unconscious is pushing him towards it. So therefore, he doesn't know consciously uh, that he's going to come back and he's going to live in heaven. It's all going to be fine. And therefore, you're wrong. It's not. (laughs) That's all right. Then he's a man again, but that's okay. But then, you know. He's 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 trying to reform the Jewish religion, so he's clearly not trying to set. He's not trying to set up his own religion, and yeah. uh, you know. And well, well then we are, get back onto Jews don't count. But you know what? What if he if he had any sense of godliness? Why didn't he foresee 
uh, yeah. what was going to happen to his people, but also <laughs> when he foresee the, the the problem with the Eucharist, you know, so it's it's all it's, yeah, it's... they didn't foresee a lot of it, but then you know, if it wasn't in his conscious, but here's no. another thing which is similar to that in a way. Uh, is uh, it's another bit that I think, oh, I should have put that in the book. Uh, and in terms of you think it should be a bit longer, I could have put this bit in. I might yeah. write a second edition, which in which I put these bits in, but then the people who bought the first edition always get pissed off. <laughs> they don't have to buy this for these new chapters. But anyway, here's the a chapter I, I should have put in. Because I went to Singapore uh, on, my, on my way back from uh, the Far East quite recently, and I went to a Buddhist temple. And something you may know is that Buddha does not describe himself. He consciously does not describe himself as a god and says, don't worship me as a god. Uh, just listen to what I'm saying and blah, blah, blah. And I was in this temple, and it's four floors of absolute worship. <laughs> in fact, at the centre of it, in a very Jesus-y way, there's a relic. I think it's Buddha's teeth, rather like right. you see Jesus' foreskin all over yes. the place, yeah. bits of the true cross, or whatever else it might be. And this is his teeth in a massive, great golden glass thing with like like behind glass and you're only allowed to stand there for a certain whatever and so what i would that suggest what i would suggest in terms of my book is that i am right that the need to worship and to revere in a sort of supernatural way is hardwired yeah into humanity even if the bloke says look don't do this about me i'm you know i'm just a man i'm just saying some stuff Take it or leave it. The next thing you know, there's a four-floor temple to him with with his teeth. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's fair enough. It is, you know, but it, well, the, the book I'm talking about next week is about uh, emotions, and yeah, I mean, I think the way we are that we're so sort of slaves to our emotions, and that, that we can be manipulated, and we love being in groups, and that's you know, and we love being in a group of people who agree with us, and that's. That's what really, you know. That, that's the good and bad of religion. That that, that it that it's it's uh, you know in in essence, uh, people should be. Able, there's no you know. I, I think with I was sort of trying to persuade my parents not to be Christians. You kind of think, well, what they're not doing any harm by yeah. being Christians. It's like someone trying to persuade someone who wants to have an abortion not to have an abortion because you're religious. It's up to them whether they have an abortion or not. You might not like it, but it's up to them. And it's the sort it's the sort of thing. It's the same thing in reverse. I think in, that sometimes atheists want to want to kind of say, well, you're not allowed yeah. to think that. Was like yeah. all the points you make about, uh, which obviously come from the play, the play you wrote as well, but about how physics, you know, that we don't know what dark matter is. But yeah. we don't know what, you know, the, what we know about the, the universe is incredible. But, you know, we, we, we don't know most stuff. And we might be looking at the universe from a point of view of like a bacteria trying to understand the the, the where it is. It would have an understanding of its environment, but it it couldn't possibly comprehend what, everything was for if it you know even if it had if it, yeah if it, I, mean, had... I think this is a this is a ticklish area for me though because as you know i'm the thing i'm most obsessed with is truth and so i sort of feel the same urge a little bit the dawkins urge you might call it to say no no but this is the truth the truth is there is no god and stop believing this other stuff but i also have this other part of me that understands why people believe it and why it's wrapped up to, with their identity so i'm not like dawkins in the end it, this sort of the, I, I think there's one bit which shows exactly how i feel uh, where i say you know that people who dismiss uh, religion as fairy tale are you know that's wrong because to dismiss fairy tale as fairy tale is wrong because <laughs> fairy tales tell us an enormous amount about what it means to be human so to have no intellectual curiosity about religion is what I don't agree with. Yeah. However, I am with Richard Dawkins in basically thinking it is not true, and therefore 
obviously your parents, who are Church of England and lovely people who go to church or whatever, <laughs> are a very benign version of people who might believe something that's not true, and that's fine. But obviously there are other versions sure. of this. David Koresh, or whatever <laughs> else it might, might be, you know, very extreme forms of religion, oppressing other religion or leading to violence or whatever, where the desperation of the belief, which is what I'm talking about, the God desire, does lead to murderous consequences. So it's it can be benign, yeah, believing in a God, and it can also not be benign. But that's true of atheism as well, and true of everything as well. So everything can have that that element. You still don't no, necessarily have to wipe it out. But uh, yeah, you know, but, I, I, go on. Sorry, sorry. All I was going to say. Yes, I think it's worse now. When you say everything, I think it's worse now. I think religion is an example of it, and I think it's worse now. I think I think we have created a technology whereby everyone can have their own reality. Yeah. And that's fine, actually. That would be fine if it wasn't for the fact that if everyone's reality gets questioned, they then get furious and <laughs> shouty. And the, their way of believing in their own reality is to say, my reality is right and your reality is wrong and everyone is right, blah, blah, blah. And that's yeah. fragmented now. So you get an incredibly shouty public space, Twitter, but in general, where... People have to, I talked about this in a documentary I did about social media, which is I believe that unfortunately people have to set up their sense of their own identity and their reality in opposition. Like the, yeah. the best way to have a sense of this is who I am is sadly not to just think this is who I am and it's fine. It's like this is who I am and I have to define that by saying this is who I'm not and you're a cunt for being <laughs> not me. And that's the unfortunate thing. And obviously religion is one example, but yeah, there are loads of other examples. There are, but then also in the book you talk about you and Frank Skinner, obviously, who are, who are very good friends and have got together uh, and, and been been uh, been friends for many years. And he's a very devout Catholic who genuinely believes he might go yeah. to hell as a result of being divorced. And, and yeah. you that's... you can't... I mean, I can't envisage a God that, that would do that to Frank. There's lots of things I would send Frank Skinner to hell for, but not getting not getting divorced. Uh, yeah. But, so yeah, but you can still have a in, you can still have a discussion about it and an understanding of of where you're coming. Can I just clarify that because I'm not, I mean it is sort of clarified in the book, but I'm not sure certainly if your listeners will uh, understand. But it's worth thinking about. Is Frank didn't just think he would go to hell for being divorced. It, it took him a long time to explain, and there is a comedy element to it because we'd just done a gig after, for Amnesty International because in the nineties I didn't really know Frank at that time. I just got friendly with him. Uh, I tell you what. It's the same event, you're like this, where <laughs> I was starting, Newman and Badia was starting to come apart. And uh, we'd been given the copy for our first stand-up video, Newman and Badia at the uh, Shaftesbury Theatre, which was originally called Badia and Newman at the Shaftesbury Theatre. And Frank says he remembers Rob Newman getting the copy and changing Badia and Newman, <laughs> writing, dropping it out and writing Newman and Badia on all the copy for wow. that video. Anyway, after that uh, slightly hellish experience, yes. um, it, I, he gave me a lift from wherever that gig was to the station. And he drove me there and it was very foggy and a bit kind of creepy. And he started telling me this thing about how because he was divorced and sleeping with his girlfriend, that's the key thing, right. that he was therefore committing adultery because the Catholic Church don't recognise divorce. And while he was committing adultery, he couldn't go to confession because you have to say when you go to confession and, con and confess your sin, I won't do it again uh, to get absolution, right? Yes. Well, I'll, I'll do it again. So he would have to say, basically, I won't sleep with my girlfriend anymore <laughs> in order to get absolution. And that would have been a problem for him and his girlfriend at the time. So he couldn't take get confession or absolution, so he couldn't take communion. Yeah. 
that's the point at which I said, sorry, what, what why are you talking about all this? And he said, no, you don't understand. I think I will burn in hellfire because of yeah. this. And meant it very seriously. And to come back to what you were saying, it is true what I say in the book, which is I did not think what an idiot. I thought, how brilliant. How brilliant that this obviously really clever bloke thinks something so, at some level, mad, from my point of view. Feels yeah. mad to think that. But there's something, what that does, it adds to the joy and oh, I think the word is the gaiety of nations what I mean is to the texture of life to the character of things you know it's interesting that yeah. he believes that that's what I thought yeah and, and but and like you say you know whatever you believe we're not going to get it right I mean I think the thing with religion for me is you can look back and see how if you study the how religions were created and you look back and you look back at Christianity and Judaism, you see how different it was through the different texts. So you can see that the actual religion is man-made, but it doesn't preclude the idea that there was something or someone that made a conscious decision to start what we have. It doesn't mean that they're watching. I mean, that's what I find. It just seems a lot of work for the person who created the universe to go, oh, and now what, now I have to watch and make sure they're not fucking someone else? Yeah. <laughs> what? I didn't realise it would be all that, a lot of admin. Yeah, that's uh, an awful lot of admin. Is it? Yeah. I mean, because apart from anything, if, if Frank had said, well, I'll tell you what, I can't get back with my wife, but I just won't have sex with my present girlfriend. How is God going to monitor that? <laughs> yeah. And how's he going to go, yeah, that's fine. Oh, that's fine. That's yeah. all right. Like, I've got other people to deal with. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. It's, it's, it's a really interesting subject and I've always been fascinated. And I think as a comedian, it's, a, it's rich for comedy just because it's, it's so illogical, but so are most things. As you say, you know, I love the stuff you... 
you do talk about physics because I've tried to understand uh, all the, all the, yeah, all the hard physics stuff. I mean, it's just, it just sounds, as you say, it just starts to sound like its own crazy religion where we're the shadows of a uh, something yeah. in the ninth dimension. You got to go. Well, I, I, was really, actually, I only came by because I've thought a lot about quantum physics because you said about a play called God Star, <laughs> uh, which is about religion and quantum physics. It's about a deeply believing young woman who thinks she can prove the actuality of miracles using physics and using equations. That's what that play is about. Uh, and I um, came to that partly by reading all these books, which there are now a huge market, and I'm sure you read them, because I think blokes of our age and type <laughs> do. Yeah. And I noticed that they were all called things like underneath the real and, you know, what exists beneath and things like that. And I thought, these sound like religious books to me, just yeah. these titles, because we see through a glass darkly, do we not? You know, <laughs> and, and then the truth is revealed to us. And that's like... That type of physics has a very similar attitude, I would say. Yeah. Well, something's going on, isn't it, Dave? It's, it's like <laughs> something, something's, something's going on. It's, yeah. It's, it's, a, I mean, it's a funny old world, Richard. <laughs> it'd be interesting yeah. to know what it was. I think the interesting thing is, and uh, maybe this is, we're the only animal we know of, the only creature we know of that's aware of its own death and, yeah. you know, is aware that there's there's anything else going on. And maybe that, that is a sort of madness uh, that I mean I'm not I'm not going to say supposed to because there's not there's no supposed to but you know we're not supposed to know we're going to die let's say that no, no I agree so, with that yeah I, I mean as I say I use that very early on it's quite a lot about animals in the book uh, and you know I do believe that being the only animal that is aware of its own death is why we're also the only animal that has a god uh, yeah. to the name of God. Now you might say, "Well, cats can't speak, but they couldn't come <laughs> up with it." But animals do have all sorts of means of communication, especially primates have all sorts, and dolphins have all sorts of means of communication. But it seems to be mainly about how do we have sex and how do we find some fish or bananas in the case of monkeys, and, and they haven't bothered with oh, and how do we perpetuate our lives after we die? How about that? But should we talk about that without the dolphin speech? No, they don't do that because they don't know that. So it seems to me to be a very early thing, as far as I can make out, from the growth of language and understanding and death as a thing that we know that we we experience that led to the consequent creation of a thing that outsmarts that, which is God. Yeah. I would say uh, when I had my general anaesthetic yes. uh, for my operation, it was a very... I mean, I know I was on morphine, but it was a, it was very peaceful, and it yeah. felt like slipping away and dying, and it yeah. made me a lot less scared about dying. Yeah, yeah. Um, because yeah. I just I thought, this is it. I'm, I'm, I'm. I, you disappear, and that's okay. Yeah, I mean, the thing that I always think, because a few people have said this to me about anaesthetic, because I, I talk about how we all, I think, however religious we are, we all know something, which is what our life, whatever consciousness was like before we were born, right? That it was absolute nothingness yeah and that we therefore i think we all know that that's what we're going back to and a few people have said yeah but i had an anesthetic and you know it was kind of great and i was nice and i was relaxed and i always say and when did you have that thought and they say well when i woke up i think yeah that's the difference <laughs> yeah but it was nice as you go i didn't mind if i hadn't woken up I, I, it was a said, you know, there was an hour of my life that disappeared and i wasn't there and there wasn't a soul sitting in the corner going oh well we're off off we go it was just i was gone yeah. And I found it quite reassuring. I didn't, it didn't make, it didn't make, I don't, I still don't want to die, but I still also don't want to live 
for all fucking eternity. There's a, there's a cut-off point somewhere in between. Know, uh, so that's what these people say to me, well, you know, you're saying that you're frightened of death. Would you want to live forever? No, of course I wouldn't want to live forever. It would get shit. But that doesn't mean that the creation of a desire that of, to outsmart something you're frightened of, i.e. death, is going to have a logic in it where you think, like, oh, actually, no, let's not create God and heaven because we'll get bored. No, <laughs> that's not how the creation of myth works. It's true. Another thing, another bit that I want to read out from one of the reviews. This is from the Telegraph guy that I presume might be the same one you're talking about. He's he's the one who took a very lofty approach to it. He does say, he also says, Badil is very funny, as if that's like, (laughs) we know that, that doesn't matter. What does that matter? But But this this is interesting about you know, about a religious person's point of view or a different person's point of view. And that's what I like about this book, that it throws up, like, loads of opinions, uh, and some of them are crazy. If I had the author's certainty in a godless university, uh, godless universe, I wouldn't waste my time writing books, let alone reviewing them. I might rob a bank. Yeah. I so, like, <laughs> it's yeah. like, yeah. what? So all that's stopping you robbing a bank is that the, the, you think God yeah. might be upset. I, I, I did want to say... So, if you've heard of the police and the law courts, have you? You've heard of them, and, and you'd be in prison probably for quite a long time if you successfully robbed the bank. I mean, I suppose you might get away with it, and then you'd be on a desert island, but that would be the same for anyone whether they believe in God or not. Do you know what yeah. I mean? I, I, mean fact, I don't think anyone doesn't rob a bank because of God. They don't rob a bank because they think they'll get caught and be put in prison. Yeah. But, I don't know. but it's funny, and but it's interesting, you know, it it does... Uh, it's a book that, because it's an opinion and it counters opinions, that it that the reviews are either very nice or wrong, or people are quite angry with you. Yeah, Which right. I think for quite a reasonable book, it's it's quite odd that there's so many angry reviews. But I equally, I've experienced this whenever I try when I tried to do my reasonable show about Jesus, I still got the the angriness from from that. There's a review in the Jewish Chronicle by a guy called Rabbi Howard Cooper, who I think. Also didn't like Jews don't count. We you just think, Howard, come on now, sit down, think about it. But anyway, he his position is uh, that I am enamoured of Christianity, which I thought was a really fabulous thought. Uh, and I didn't talk about Christianity quite a lot in the book, but actually what I'm saying about Christianity is that it services the God desire better than Judaism. That Jesus is a fabulous, I use the example of Hollywood screen manuals, that yeah. Hollywood screen manuals have this idea of what a hero should be. And it should be someone who's often from a lower class background, uh, who sacrifices something for, you know, for the, for, to, to make you feel empathetic with, with them. That I talk about save the cat. Uh, you know, this thing to save the cat. So early on in a film, they should do something nice so that you feel that they're good people. Jesus does all that shit. I mean, not a cat, but he helps a leper. You know, yeah, get us, you know. And Judaism doesn't have anyone like that. It has, you know, Moses being really angry and, you know, going up with some t- tablets. It doesn't have a hero in Judaism yeah. in the same way. And my point is, so therefore the God desire is serviced better by Jesus, who also offers eternal life through him, right? That doesn't make me enamoured of Christianity. That makes me explaining my theory and why this religion works with my theory better than another one. But yeah. no, Rabbi Hal Cooper's furious about that. I think because well, he basically thinks, are you saying I'm in the wrong lane? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that's when nobody, that once you've made that decision to be absolutely in that lane, it's very hard to come out of it. And I completely understand it. And you would, and I, when I, 
when I did that sort of stupid thing where I did number plates, tried to do the number plates from one to 999, and I kind of started as a joke, making up gods that were controlling the cars. But then right. it sort of started to like feel real, and then weird things would happen. You go, well, that, you know, you would, it almost, it, it, you get to the point where you've, you're so invested in your stupid idea that to step <laughs> out of it would make you look even more stupid for having believed it in the first place. But I'm not saying that's all religion, but I think it's just, it's very difficult to, you know, because it's that comforting thing. It's, you know, there is, you don't get many deathbed conversions the other way, do you? So you don't get many people going, I believe in God, but yeah. fuck it, I'm about to die. Yeah, <laughs> so you, you. Don't. No, no. So, so people, well, you know, stick with that. that. You say that, I think Q Dennis told me that his dad, who was the Bishop of Ipswich, I want to say. Yeah, I think Sorry, so. Yeah, Hugh. Like Sorry, Hugh, that's wrong. I'm calling him Hugh, his real name is Pete, but anyway. <laughs> um, but his dad was the Bishop of Ipswich, about uh, a week before he died, <laughs> said to him, you know, Pete, um, all my life I've believed in God and, you know, I hope I might be right. <laughs> and clearly he was starting to doubt it yeah. as he approached the end okay. uh, in a very Anglican, again, kind of benign way. So it is unusual, but you're right. Most of the time yeah. it's atheists converting on their deathbed. And as I say in the book, that is not, despite the many people, religious people who think it is an argument for the existence of God, but for the existence of fear. Yeah. That, that's what that is. And, and yeah. no doubt I, on my deathbed, will be praying, <laughs> and I will know it's not true as I do it. Yeah, you have to believe it, or God can see that you're lying as well, Dave. So there's no yeah. point in... He's I'm clever enough to see so through that. Busy, so busy working out whether Frank Skinner, who's older than me, so it's unlikely, <laughs> is still having sex with his girlfriend and not his wife, that he won't notice. <laughs> a few must slip through. There might just any system. There's going to be a few that slip through. Um, look, it's uh, it's a really terrific book, uh, as as is uh, Juice Don't Count, and uh, I, I haven't read your kids' books, but the, I've read a couple of your other novels, which I've read also enjoyed. Your kids. Have you not read them my, to your kids? No, my oh. daughter's my daughter's uh, uh, is uh, uh, how old is she? Seven, eight. Yeah, well, that's all right. Yeah, so she can start going in. She's reading, uh, you know, Williams. No, so she, can re- much, she can read you. I'm going to say it out loud. Mine are much funnier than Williams. <laughs> I'd prefer her to read you the Williams. I have to say, I don't like. I don't well, like the idea of. You know what? You're in a position to affect that. <laughs> I, 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 do, I can't stop. I can't say you're not allowed to read stuff. No, but you can. So I can give you the books. I, I believe I control the money. <laughs> so here is the person controller by David Padil. Try this instead. Okay, I'll give her some of your books, uh, and I'm sure my son will enjoy them when he can effectively read. He's getting. He's getting there. Um, uh, are there any books that you're reading at the moment or have read recently or a book or two that you would like to recommend that aren't your own? Yes. Uh, so I'm reading uh, late Graham Greene books at the moment. I started reading John le Carre uh, recently, who I've never read before, but my wife is writing Slow Horses, uh, which you might have you watched that. It's really good. No. It's on Apple with Gary Oldman in it. And it's a sort of John le Carre, slightly comedy version of John le Carre, uh, in that it's about a bunch of apparently shit spies who work for right. MI5, but who, in an underdog way, tend to, you know, sort of Scooby-Doo, in a way, uh, <laughs> sort of, like, manage to make things work for them. Uh, it's really good. It's really good. And I started reading John Carey, some of whose work is very brilliant, Spy Came In From The Cold, and some of which I found Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, it's just like, oh, enough with the bureaucracy of MI5 or whatever. So that made me go back to Grand Green, who was also I've always really loved, because I haven't read a lot of his late books, which become very much about, you know, that. Uh, yeah. Uh, and he wrote a fantastic book called The Human Factor, 
Oh, yes. It's brilliant, uh, which is a sort of John le Carre-like book about British spies. And I'm now reading The Honorary Consul by him, which is also totally brilliant. He was yeah. an anti-Semite as well, of course. But you know what? <laughs> if I didn't read anti-Semites, I'd probably not read at all. I read Graham Greene when I was a teenager and John le Carre. I haven't read either of them for a long time. So that's quite a good, uh, not that I get any time to read books of dead people because I can't interview them. I've got to read no. a book a week. I can't do that. Right. Uh, yeah. So it's hard unless you can, we could, well, maybe if we can get, if you're wrong, I can talk to Graham G- yeah. Greene. Well, you die. Oh, I could, I could die and then talk to Graham Greene, definitely. But I could maybe talk to him while I'm alive and broadcast well, it. Yeah, although I think if religion quite holds with the whole ghost and seance thing. <laughs> okay. Bit, uh, well, as much. But maybe. Try and see. call him up. <laughs> I'll try, try and get him, get him yeah. on. You'll never yeah. know. I think um, he's with Avalon, so he's very expensive. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, David. It's always lovely to talk to you, and I do recommend uh, certainly. And 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 as if you do a weekly podcast where you have to read a book a week, get David Badil on. Yeah. Sorry, David Badil on because uh, his books are really short. In the, yeah, the audio books, really wasn't helped. even two hours long. This yeah. it, this podcast is almost as long as the book. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's absolutely brilliant for that. If <laughs> if that's where you're at. But also, uh, do do by the, the God Desire by David Benil. We are back next week with uh, Emotional Ignorance by Dr. Dean Burnett. Look, that's a, that's a book. There. Look at that. Look how big. That well look book. at that. Yeah. I literally finished. I had to put it on double speed for the last forty-five <laughs> minutes so I could get the last bit done in time uh, to talk to you. Voice sounds silly. It sounds like <laughs> it sounds like Donald Duck. The guy that's reading it, it isn't Dean. Is very slow, and I realised you could actually go up to. Usually, I do one point four. Right, uh, and that's all right for most people. With this one, I went up to two, and it sounded okay. And then I put it on two point four, and it started sounding a bit. If you had your bollock locked off, was there an element of that comedy thing where your voice went up? Or did that <laughs> there wasn't, because the other one was the, the more masculine of the two. I think if the other one comes off, maybe, you'll, maybe. Be, at, you'll be at one point five. <laughs> I might be. I might be. <laughs> Love to talk, David. Uh, hopefully, see you very soon. Thank you, pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Thanks to Chris Evans as well for all of his hard work. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. If you're a Shark Tank fan or business junkie, check out the podcast Another Bites. Each week, Another Bite breaks down the biggest success stories and most disastrous failures to come out of Shark Tank. The hosts break down each company's pitch, analyze the deals that were or weren't made, and answer the million-dollar question, are they still a company? Whether you're an entrepreneur looking for tips or a Shark Tank fan that just wants to relive the drama, Another Bite's your deep dive into the world of Shark Tank. Just search for Another Bite in your favorite podcast app, like the one you're listening to right now. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love 
and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Thanks very much, richardherring.com slash Rahalastapa for those remaining Rahalastapa dates, Rahalastapa, and richardherring.com slash ballback slash tour to find out all the tour dates for my upcoming stand-up. Would love to see you at those ones. Please book tickets if you can. All right, enjoy another podcast. Don't listen to anyone else's podcast but mine. Stay faithful and I'll see you on the next one. Bye.